Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybox together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Trauma. It is something that each and every one of us carry within our own minds, brains, and body. And today, my friends, I had the absolute pleasure and the honor of speaking with uh, literally one of my favorite authors on the subject when it comes to trauma. His name is Bessel van der Kolk. Now, for those of you that don't know who he is, he wrote the New York Times bestselling book, The Body Keeps the Score. It has been on the New York Times bestseller list for many, many weeks and for damn good reason too, because this book, I've read it twice over now. The first time was uh, last year when I first found out about uh, Bessel's book uh, and it literally transformed my whole understanding of the way we see trauma, how we carry trauma, and it unlocked a lot of things for me going into my own past and how I can actually radically transform and, and heal myself from those past wounds because as you have probably heard on the show, I have been through some crazy traumatic experiences growing up. And that's probably the same story for you guys if you are listening to it. And if it's not, then that's still okay as well. But for those of you that want to know how you can break free from the bondage that trauma so often cripples us in and holds us down so that we have that stuck feeling, then this is a conversation for you. Trust me when I say this, I, I had an absolute blast speaking with Bessel and I tried to ask him as many, many questions revolving around understanding trauma and then also how we can better heal from it. Because if we can understand it better, then we can also uh, form strategies and, and tools to better heal from it as well, because trauma is never going to go away. I think if you've listened to my conversation with Dr. Sarah Woodhouse, who wrote the best-selling book, You're Not Broken, which is another one of my favorite books on trauma, by the way, if you haven't got a copy, go and get it. Uh, but it's trauma is there to stay, but it doesn't mean you have to allow it to control your life. And 
I, I hope that this conversation is going to be a help uh, to each and every one of you today. Uh, so Bessel van der Kolk is a psychiatrist by training. He has been a pioneer in trauma research for decades now and leads a trauma research foundation. His 2014 book, The Body Keeps the Score, quickly became a touchstone on this topic of trauma. And although the book was first released seven years ago now, it sits at number one on the New York Times bestseller list, a testament to the state of our, nat- our national psyche. The core argument of the book is that traumatic experiences, everything from sexual assault and incest to emotional and physical abuse become embedded in the older, more primal parts of our brain that don't have access to conscious awareness yet. And that means two things simultaneously. First, that trauma lodges in the body. We carry a physical imprint of our psychic wounds. The body keeps the score, but, and I found this more relevatory as well, the mind hides the score. It obscures the memories and or convinces us of our victimization. It was our fault or it covers the event in shame so we don't discuss it anymore. So my friends, if you do uh, find this conversation interesting and if you haven't got a copy of Bessel's book, go and do that now. I am also pleased to announce that I have partnered up with Bessel's foundation and you can go and get uh, Bessel's um, course on healing and managing trauma now. So the links are in the show notes below for you guys. He's offering you an amazing discount actually, which, uh, you know, if you are interested in transforming your life even more, then I highly encourage you to go and get this course. It is a four week course. So, um, he is offering it to each and every one of you for a hundred dollars off. So if you use the code, uh, story box community, that is story box community, all one word. I'll put the coupon codes and everything that you need all in the show notes below. But honestly, if you feel like this is interesting for you and this is something that you want, then please go and uh, get this course. All right, my friends, that is enough from me today. I am very excited to journey with you into the story box today. Trauma is a massive, massive topic of conversation. It's getting a lot better these days uh, and I enjoy having conversations about it more specifically because revolving around uh, helping you guys reach your full potential and you really can't do that if you're holding on to trauma uh, or past trauma. So it's time for you guys to break free and I hope this conversation helps someone out there today. I know it's helped me. All right, my friends, let's journey into this story box today and listen, learn, and grow from the story, the wisdom, and the advice from none other than New York Times bestselling author of the book, The Body Keeps the Score, Mind, Brain, and Body in the Transformation of Trauma, Bessel van der Kolk. Good. It's really, really great to have you here. So the first question that I do have for you is really understanding more specifically what trauma really is. And I think the best place to start for people is what is trauma specifically and how do we know that it actually is trauma to begin with? Oh, if you if it happens to you, you'll know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how informal we can be here, but a, a trauma is really an oh shit experience. Oh my God. Like, 
you confront with something and nothing prepares you for it and you just get overwhelmed and you become, feel helpless and you may become very upset you may shut down but whatever happens you you are immobilized you cannot do anything anymore mm. so there's no specific levels of trauma it's just that that all oh, crap moment that experience of oh my god and then of course what happens after is critical so you know little babies have experiences like oh my god all the time and melt down and then they're Parents pick them up and they go bop, 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 coochie, coochie, coochie. And before they're like, they, they're restored. And that's true for us also. So if you, for some reason or another, just melt down, I hope somebody is on the other side of your door and go, oh, I see that you're really upset. Let me take over for you. Mm-hmm. And that's really the nature of the human beast is that we're deeply interactive creatures. And we're communal creatures, even in places like, Australia or Texas, where people are very individualistic, we still are part of a network of people. And so um, we can go through a lot of bad stuff in our world, as long as we have people around us who help us, support us, are there for us. But uh, trauma is very much about that whole system breaking down and you don't know where to turn anymore. Mm, That, That changes your brain and it changes your mind and resets your orientation in the world. And so something becomes a trauma is if your your mind and brain is unable to process it and then you get stuck there and then over time you keep replaying and reliving that old thing over and over again. And let's say you get raped and uh, later on you go on a date and somebody puts a hand on your shoulder you go, oh, my God, and you feel as if you're getting raped again, when in fact, somebody is putting just a hand on your shoulder. And so uh, once you get traumatized, stuff happens around you that makes you react as if it's happening again, even though it may not happen again. Mm. I want to dive further into that in a moment, but I want to sort of go into the, the area of, so I've heard people say trauma is just trauma, like, I'm curious, like, is that the case or is there like one trauma that is worse than the other? No, trauma is fundamentally trauma. Uh, The big difference is how old you are. Because uh, as a little baby, your brain is growing, your mind is growing. So you are a very different person at age one from age two to age three. While when you're 32, you're not that different from who you are at age 35. Huh? And so that when trauma happens in the developmental stage, it does something with the formation of your brain and your formation of yourself that has much more pervasive impact on your whole system, basically. Right. So the age is which it occurs and at the hands of whom it occurs. So if um, somebody out there does something terrible to you as a kid, it's bad, but... If it's your own caregivers who do it, who you depend on for safety and and security, and they do it, it really messes up your whole system, basically. Well, if you're an adult and something terrible happens to you, uh, you don't lose everything, but something gets changed that alters the way you go through the world. But if you're a very good chess player or tennis player or accountant, you continue to be a very good 
had what you've always done. Right. So for someone that has experienced childhood trauma, whether it's been uh, sexual in nature or PTSD or any of those areas, how does that impact the way they see the world around them? Well, it depends very much on the circumstances uh, that uh, we are, uh, as children, we are growing organisms. And depending on how old you are and the circumstances, has a different impact at age three than age five, at eight, 12, uh, because different things are coming online at that point. And so trauma interferes with the full maturation, full um, the development of these capacities. So is there one age, like for example, for myself, when I was six years old, I was sexually abused by someone. So is there, and I noticed with that experience, kind of like my brain as a way of protecting myself kind of shut itself off. And is is that, is that the same reaction as like with an adult or is it because of, yeah. To some degree, but a six-year-old brain is very different from an adult brain. So you make sense out of it in different ways and also may affect whatever your brain is working on at that point. Uh, So let's say in first grade, you may primarily work on getting along with other kids. And if that uh, at that time you get traumatized, that may interfere with you getting along with other people, let's say. Uh, So it depends very much on uh, what stage of development you're in and what the job of that stage of development is. Uh, So when you're three years old, um, you're supposed to get a capacity to think about Oh, today is different from tomorrow. Had to develop very slowly. Uh, and if you get traumatized at that point, it's likely that that capacity of looking at yourself over time may get a big hit. Yeah. Uh, as an example. Or if you're just learning to speak and you get traumatized at that time, it wouldn't be unlikely that your speech capacities may get a hit. Yeah. You did a a study on the nature of trauma in the book that you lay out and you actually tell the story of Bill, um, which I encourage people to go and read. Um, It's basically the study goes into the the, the changes of one's perception and imagination. And I'm curious, why specifically does it change your perception of the world and your imagination, what you're able to think? Well, uh, as a scientist, you don't really ask why, you know, why are we alive? You know, like, uh, we are. Huh? And so, yes, it changes things and we can just describe what changes. Huh? So, uh, so something, uh, you get stuck at that particular point and why we get stuck at that particular point, I don't know. In some ways, I don't really care. The fact is that you get stuck at this point and then the question for me becomes, how do you help people become unstuck? Yeah. But your perceptions of the world change. And that's so, so people generally think about trauma as, oh, it's that event that happened a long time ago. But that is not the issue primarily because that event is over. So when you say, I was sexually abused as a kid, I go like, oh, I'm really sorry about you. But as a, as a shrink, I would say, so what effect has that on your life right now? Because life is lived right now. And for me, the question is, how does whatever happened to you affect your current life, your current relationship, your current reactions? Because it changes the way you process information. 
Yeah. I want to get to the healing from trauma very soon, but I want to go back a little bit and ask when was the time that we discovered officially that what was going on with veterans, there was what was going on with people that were raped and abused. When was the time that we realized that, that was specifically actually trauma? Well, it's not the we, it's people over time uh, discovered it. Like, um, you know, I had a classical education, so I spent a lot of years reading Homer and stuff like that. Homer writes about it, and um, Shakespeare writes about it. I mean, uh, it's been around forever. What's astounding is how mainstream psychiatry completely was blind. And it is just, in retrospect, astonishing to me, to some degree psychiatry is still blind in that regard, is how when we first defined PTSD, we said, this is an extraordinary event outside of the realm of human, ordinary human experience. <laughs> uh, no, it's not outside the realm of human experience. And since the time we had discovered that vast numbers of people get traumatized. And psychiatrists never paid attention to domestic violence, childhood abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. There's all sort of downplayed, oh, you're genetically messed up. And to some degree, psychiatry is oftentimes still in that position, as if life and your life experience have no impact on the formation of who you become. Yeah. And so to me, in retrospect, it's just astonishing. Uh, to my mind, I've never said anything interesting or original because it's right in front of our face. <laughs> so I just described what you see. Um, nothing astonishing. Oh my God, we never saw this before. Like Einstein, no, we saw it all the time. We just decided to ignore it. Yeah. Which I think is um, interesting in of itself. Like why, why doesn't mainstream psychiatry recognize that it actually is trauma that's going on. Have you looked at why that is the case? Well, no, I don't look at people's denial patterns. Like, like yeah. I do politicians ignore it. And I wouldn't say every psychiatrist ignores it, but, um, uh, you know, it's astonishing how uh, it is such a core part of, of our life, our experience. Like, you now when I'm in Australia, I'm always just stunned by the celebration of Gallipoli. Yeah. And nobody ever talks about it. Here were guys who stole a loaf of bread in England and these nasty people sent them off to this wilderness of Australia, separated them from their family, separated from everything, probably for minor issues. And then they are in Australia, pretty good place. And the First World War breaks out and all these Australian boys line up to die for the empire. Yeah. And nobody ever says, that was crazy. <laughs> I, I just astonished by that. People say, oh no, it's our glorious moment. No, you sacrificed a generation of Australians for a fictitious idea. Yeah. No, now I won't get invited back to Australia anymore. <laughs> but but the, so the facing reality is quite important, actually. <laughs> you know, like, uh, these things have an impact. And why do people do that? Uh, why do people who first get condemned to go to this place that everybody thought was horrible, only later on to discover that it was a great place, uh, then line up to get slaughtered for the empire? That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To my I, mind. 
to my mind as well. You know, it doesn't yeah. really make too much sense. Why would you put these human beings in that position to damage their own lives? I mean, isn't life precious? Like right. that's my understanding of the world, but yet we are told to do something. And then that also, if we are told to do it and we don't want to do it, that impacts that's trauma in of itself. Like we're going against the grain. No, it's not a trauma. It's, it is a very hard road to hoe, a very hard road to travel, is to separate yourself from the crowd and to say, no, I won't go to war. No, I will not play this game. So, uh, because the human beings are basically wired to belong and to fit in. Huh? And so people put up with a lot of uh, difficult issues, difficult parents, difficult bosses, in order to not to give up the sense of I belong. And so uh, separating yourself is an enormous act of courage. I wouldn't call it a trauma, but boy, is it hard. Yeah, yeah. I have to agree with you on that front. When when was your interest, like w what more specifically got you interested in studying the field of trauma? Well, I, I write about it in the first page of my book that you know, I met this guy and um, he tells me the story about his dad was in the war and his dad always put him down and said he's no good. He feels his dad didn't love him. He enlists to go to Vietnam, a uh, very smart guy, becomes a platoon leader. And uh, f very shortly after he arrives, uh, his platoon gets wiped out. He's the only survivor, one of the few survivors. And... Um, he continues to have nightmares about it. So he comes to see me. I say, oh, I know how to treat nightmares. I give him a drug that treats nightmares. And he tells me, I didn't want to take a drug. And I say, why not? He says, because, because I need to be a living memorial my friend, for my friends who died in Vietnam. And that sentence just blew my mind. Yeah. And I knew when he said that, I'm going to devote the rest of my life to this issue that people are um, are suffering because they want to be a living memorial for something that happens. And this has to do with love. It has to do with belonging. It has to do with uh, being overwhelmed. It has to do with, um, with loyalties. It's very complex. It has a big biological dimension, but that doesn't quite explain the whole thing. Hmm? You did a, um, a study or you do a case study on Tom, the Vietnam War veteran. And well, he was he, he was a case. He was a, yeah. uh, just a person who, so it wasn't a study, but that, he, that led to a whole bunch of studies. Yeah. And the very first study that I did, uh, which is interesting in retrospect, is I, I interviewed a whole bunch of war veterans about their experiences. And what uh, I saw in those accounts is how, um, they had done quite well for themselves until their best friends got shot or killed. And then they lost it. Oftentimes in response, they committed atrocities, did terrible things that assaulted their own conscience. And then they couldn't go home anymore because they had done terrible things, had seen the terrible things. And that, that whole configuration of having met, how you could say in religious terms, met the devil, yeah. everywhere inside themselves and outside themselves, just change them. Uh, but what's interesting is it started off as people joining the military 
often they have to escape very bad circumstances. I bet that still happens in Australia also, so it happens in the US all the time. Uh, and the armed services can be very helpful in giving people a sense of predictability and a rationale and self-esteem and skills and all those stuff. And it can be very, very good experience until you get confronted with killing and yourself as a killer. And then it becomes very, very difficult. Yep. Yeah. So for those people that have suffered through PTSD more specifically, uh, why is it that some in particular are great at not remembering things from the past, whereas others are great at remembering things from the past? Well, I think part of the trauma response is that um, the integrative function of your brain really shuts down. Yeah. So you don't remember a story. Huh? Um, what happens because the brain isn't functioning at its oh my god moment uh, it doesn't get translated into a story but it gets stored as sensations and emotions basically um, and so people have a range of reactions and um, some people are able to make a story and other people are not able to make a story but what I'm more interested in than the stories is people's physiological reactions right you know, like what triggers you, what upsets you, what are you avoiding? Uh, so it's that somatic response, that physiological response that really carries the imprint of the trauma. So the stories are just meaning making accounts that helps them to explain to themselves and people around them why they're messed up. But the stories may not be accurate at all. Mm. Well, the stories are constructions. Yeah. But the physical reactions are an imprint. Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. We just mentioned before how trauma kind of affects your imagination. So it's a very similar thing of how your brain oftentimes creates these images, I call them. And that's what happened to me because I thought, you know, I experienced trauma when I was six. I knew it happened. And then sort of later on in life, I started getting these flashbacks and I didn't know whether or not they were true or not. So yeah. and I, I didn't have the the guts. I was scared to actually ask someone that knew that it actually happened. Yeah, so people always feel like I must be crazy. Yeah. And, and then you feel ashamed about yourself and you want to hide what you're feeling because you think and for justifiably so, because people often say, Oh, that's crazy. You know, it's not like uh, people say, Oh, that's terrible. Tell me more or let's go deeper into it. And people go like get over it or that you're making it up or you've read too many newspapers or, you know, you went through this whole scandal in Australia about yeah. people, uh, all the stuff that happened there recently, same thing happens here all the time uh, of, oh, you must be crazy to making it up. And and it takes, it takes a lot of courage on your part, but also a lot of um, inventiveness and hopefulness to the first time you go to a therapist, they probably won't get it yeah. and tell you to change your thinking. And the second person will give you medication. And then the fourth person will get, hey, it sounds really important. Let's go into this. But in Australia, as in the US, it's really not easy to find somebody who will um, get in sync with you and to really um, help you to open up and get to know yourself. How would you help someone that has experience the shame or the guilt 
from trauma? Um, basically, uh, you know, you try to create a condition where people observe in their mind's eye what happened to that person back then. Uh, so you try to create a physiological state in people so they feel safe sitting in their chair here. And now I'm here right now. I'm in Sydney on a lockdown, which I'm not. I'm sitting in Berkshire in a rainstorm. Uh, I'm here. But in my mind's eye, I go back and I see that six-year-old kid getting molested and say, oh, my God, that is just a little six-year-old kid. And he felt so embarrassed and so ashamed what was happening. He didn't dare to tell anybody because he thought he was to blame. Oh, my God. If I'd seen that happen now, knowing what I know now, I would have walked in there and yanked this guy away and kicked him in the ass and said, I'll put a picture skip that. And so you need to create a mindset that people are able to uh, feel and notice what happened to them back then, while at the same time knowing it's not happening right now. Mm -hmm. And traditionally, hypnosis was a very good way of doing that. Hypnosis sort of fell by the wayside. One of these days, it's going to come back again, I'm sure, because it's a very time-honored thing, but very few people practice it. And now people do things like EMDR and internal family system therapy. And like I, we're using psychedelics these days uh, to create that state. But fundamentally, I think a hypnotic situation where you can be here and there at the same time is the ideal mental state where you can resolve these traumatic events in your life. I've heard some of my friends, they've actually used psychedelics in order to uh, help manage or cope with trauma. Is that an effective way to actually... You? No, no, I think taking drugs uh, by yourself or at parties is not an effective way of dealing with things. And the way we use psychedelics is in, under very controlled conditions uh, with a guide or two guides in our case who are with you all day. You stay over all night, the next morning, uh, you process things. It's this very deep, interoceptive, deep journey inside of yourself. Yeah. And so these drugs are not to be used, or they, we can use them for recreation also, but it's a completely different kettle of fish uh, from a therapeutic point of view. And I'm very worried about it because I think things will once again get out of control once these things become legal. Um, uh, we, we, do, we use extremely careful conditions yeah. to create the, the setting where people can process their trauma. You actually mentioned in your book that you thought that medication in of itself that you were using in the past, and I think even today, is not an effective use or, or, or shouldn't be used as the only means to uh, treat trauma. Why is, why is that? It's not just a thought. That is, I did the research. Yeah. I did the first research on Prozac for PTSD. I did the first research on Zona for PTSD. Not like, I think so, like, no. We looked at the data, we tried it on people, and it didn't work. <laughs> like, um, for some reason, psychiatry ignored our scientific findings, said, let's give some more drugs. Mm. But the drugs don't really help all that much. They may take the edge off, they make it less intense, 
but they don't solve anything. Uh, and, you know, I'm really very sad that psychiatry has sold its soul to the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah. How does those medications in particular, because you were doing the study with whether or not uh, those medications do actually help people suffering with trauma, how does those medications impact the brain more specifically? Well, uh, these medications generally make the brain less reactive. Right. And so you feel less. And sometimes your feelings are overwhelming and feeling less is, helps you to function a little bit better. Um, but by feeling less, you feel less. Uh, um, so you feel less excited and you feel less in love and you feel less loving and you feel less excited about love, life. But, you know, you are easier to live with. Yeah. Because you don't get as angry before, you don't get as sad as before. But, you know, we have these reactions as warning signs. Freud is actually very good about it. Freud many things wrong, but this is absolutely right. He said, our emotions are warning signs and that we have to pay attention to them. If we get anxious, it means that our brain is warning us that something dangerous is happening. And if your brain is responding to something right now that in fact is not dangerous, then you wonder what is it that caused your brain to have the habits to react to the stimulus in a, as if it were a danger. And then you have to go back to what the original issue was where you developed this anxiety reaction that became a habit. Huh? But you still need to actually go delve into people's minds and help make people curious about themselves to go like, oh yeah, I first felt that way when I very much wanted to be loved by that bully in my class and the bully kept putting me down. So I was always anxious trying to get close to that, that classmate of mine but I felt so inadequate back then. And that feeling has stayed with me ever since that time. And then you do some retroactive healing of that original situation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I like that. Um, and I, I want, I want to sort of dive into the area with, with children for a moment. And do you, do you think like when all else fails? No, let, let me ask you a different question. Actually for children more specifically, how can we, or what other strategies that should we should be using first and foremost to help a child, doesn't matter what the age it is, they are, helping a child heal from trauma or managing trauma, say witnessing a death or, yeah. The same way you, you treat children in general. Huh? You make them feel safe, you hold them, you sing to them, you read them bedtime stories, you have meals together, you... Treat them like a valuable person and you help them to play whatever they are need to play with. How they think that, uh, so it, it starts off like ordinary, uh, everyday life that, that well-functioning people lead in families. And then if that doesn't work, um, what is helpful in the, the research I've done is you can do neurofeedback. Mm. And some of my best contacts in neurofeedback happened to be in Australia, um, in Sydney, in the START program, out near Westmead, out in the western suburbs, ah. in, um, in Melbourne, Moshe Pearl. So, so there are a number of people in Australia who do very good neurofeedback work, but it hasn't caught on. 
into the larger community for whatever reason. And so calming that brain down with brain-computer interface uh, by playing games with your own brain can be very helpful. Uh, um, doing movement therapies, uh, like you know, people in my lab uh, developed something called SMART, the sensory motor integration program. Uh, you can get an occupational therapist to do sensory integration with kids, uh, movement, helping them feel safe in their bodies. Uh, so if you have the resources, we know what to do. Mm. You mentioned uh, Westmead, which is not far from my place. And I actually spent a lot of time in Westmead Children's Hospital growing up with kind of leading me into my next question. You mentioned in the book, uh, people have experienced childhood um, physical abuse or, or trauma. They often feel sensations such as abdominal pain. So... I was actually admitted into hospital Westmead in particular for acute abdominal pain. The doctors couldn't really diagnose what was going on with me. Uh, and I'm curious, why is that the case? So, because I know now 100% because it was un, un, undiscovered what really it was, but I know that it was because of the tra childhood trauma that I experienced when I was six. Yep. So you're, you're a great poster child. Huh? Yeah. Like, no, I, I served as an expert witness for many um, men who had been molested by Catholic priests as kids. And I went through their medical records. A lot of them had been hospitalized in, in Boston area hospitals with exactly what you're talking about. Mm. Unexplained physical symptoms, oftentimes abdominal symptoms. Um, we know that it has to do with that core area of your brain called uh, having to do with the housekeeping of the body, as Antonio Damasio calls it, uh, that trauma really disturbs this core sense of your body feeling unsafe. It secretes hormones that tell you I'm in danger. And it particularly affects the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the, the which innovates the area of your body below your, your diaphragm. And so it showed up in your bowels because you got these signals from the deep irrational part of your brain, my body is in danger. Yeah. Uh, and um, I'd be amazed if there were many pediatricians or internists who would see a kid with abdominal complaints and go like, I wonder if this kid has been molested. I, I, I think it would be a very rare physician, actually. Mm. Yeah, I, I think uh, it should be required reading <laughs> that all doctors and physicians read. Well, most people are reading it, much to my delight, actually. <laughs> it, yeah. It's honestly like when I read that part, I was like, I remember yelling out to my mom and saying, he, he wrote this, it makes so much sense. <laughs> it's like, and she, and she understood, you know, because it's taken me a long time from that point to the age that I am now, 25, to recognize the trauma and all the other areas of my life that have sprung up because yeah. of that one time. And yeah. yeah, so it's, it's a very curious thing, uh, trauma actually, which is why I'm, I'm passionate about spreading awareness into the, the subject in the first place. But I want to sort of go into, uh, the, the area of addiction if we can, um, yeah. why is it that when we experience trauma and this has happened to me, cause I, I, and I know it was because of trauma in, in the first place that I ended up with addictive personality. 
Yeah. Why is that the case? Oh, so um, I'd like to say to people when I give a talk, like, oh, I have a little um, syringe with heroin here. Would any of you like to have some? Hmm. And most people go like, like hell I will. I certainly won't make an heroin right now unless you happen to feel terrible. And you go like, no, I can't bear the way I feel right now. I'll try anything. Even though people have told me heroin is a bad drug, I'll try it. Mm-hmm. And you'll find out that if you take heroin at that point, that you will feel much better. In fact, you won't feel anything. And you go like, oh my God, it feels so good to not feel all these sensations in my body uh, because the body does keep the score. It's not yeah. just a cute title, it's really reality. <laughs> and you have, as Darwin already pointed out in his book back in 1872, he says, this get lived, is lived out in heartbreaking and gut-wrenching physical sensations. Huh? So if your physical sensations are always like out of control, you go like, let me try anything to make those feelings go away. And so there's an enormous correlation between drug abuse and alcohol abuse and trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to Homeric times again, this, this has been described forever. And if you want to deal with drug addiction, you also have to deal with what are you trying to medicate with your, with your drugs? What do the drugs do for you? Uh, so if somebody says, I'm on the, the drug, one of the things, first things you might ask, so what does it do for you? Rather than, eh, you have to stop it, which you have to do actually, but um, I would most of all focus on, oh, what is it that you're trying to medicate yourself? And then once you become addicted, all you try to medicate is your withdrawal symptoms. Yeah. So then it takes on a life of its own and it gets very complicated. How about for the behavioral side of addiction? Is it the same thing? Uh, what do you mean the behavioral side of addiction? So we've got the chemical side, such as yeah. drugs that we inject with one in ourselves. And then we've got the behavioral side that affects addiction, such as like, you know, you've got uh, exercise, you've got uh, sexual addictions, you've got shopping addictions, all that sort of stuff. Is that mainly caused by trauma too? Um See, I, I wouldn't dare to say it's caused by. Mm. Huh? I would say it's related to each other. Yes. Huh? It makes you more vulnerable to. Because right. huh? uh, it, it activates that reward system in your brain at some point. And once your reward system is activated, it's very hard to give up that reward. Mm. Uh, so then the issue is not so much anymore just what are you trying to medicate, but it's also how do we help you to change your reward system, which is, of course, quite a difficult challenge, as you probably have experienced yourself. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and one of the things that I do uh, understand now is the effect on on my body, like the way trauma has impacted, you know, my level of of understanding addiction, so to speak, and how that addiction has impacted my actual physique and my gut as well. I ended up getting IBS. I get all, all these crazy things that happened, but I th- I like how you mentioned that it was all related. Um, yeah. And I want to sort of 
understand a bit, bit more about the two areas of the brain. So you've got two sides of the brain and you've got the middle of the brain. Um, are they both the same that when, when trauma happens, does it affect both areas of the brain or in the middle of the brain or just one side? You know, um, again, this field is very young and, and neuroscience is very young. So when, uh, when neuroscience came on the map, we said, oh, that's the amygdala where is the fear center. And that is the uh, insula that has to do with your body sensations. That, that does that. But what we know today is that all these things are interrelated. Mm-hmm. And every system in the brain is affected because we're dealing with circuits and pathways. And so the real challenge that we face and that we'll move towards as a as a discipline is more how do we change the, the circuitry of the brain? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the challenge. You know, uh, we are a very young discipline, and we have a lot to learn. Uh, and how do we learn from people like you? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's been helpful to you? What hasn't been helpful to you? Uh, and it's really all uh, very to large degree is a joint exploration between the professionals and the people they treat, and for us to be very modest and to say, you know, I found this to be helpful to some people. There are some papers coming out of England or India or Australia that seems to work. Let's see how this works for you. And it's always, let's see what will help you. And if that doesn't help you, let's see what else can help you. It should be always a journey of exploration. Yeah. Which is very mutual, actually. Like, you explore and I explore with you. Yeah. yeah. On the subject of healing from trauma or managing trauma more specifically, what are some of the best strategies that you can uh, give to people that are currently suffering with trauma and don't know how to, how to heal from it? Well, um, what comes to mind is two issues. One is human connections. Huh? Uh, uh, I think the 12 step programs really were extremely good at that. There is so much shame and so much hiddenness that you meet, meet with a group of other people who are struggling with the same issue and everybody says, I've been there, I've struggled with that, it's really hard, I've fallen off the wagon, let me be there for you is really important. So the whole issue of community and groups and networks is incredibly important. Uh, so uh, it is, I, I'm very concerned that both in the US and Australia, uh, treatment is very much an individual model of you screw it up and I'm going to fix you. Uh, but um, uh, I see it as much more as a communal thing of we have suffered from the same thing. We have similar uh, maladaptive solutions as you found, and we are working together on making it happen. And the issue of finding compassion in a group is terribly important. So that's one component. The second component is that trauma is lived out in the body. Yeah. And so you need to have a relationship to your body and discover what makes your body feel safe. Huh? And so... I think the body is grossly ignored in our therapies and there is no touch. I think many people I know, including myself actually, have benefited enormously from very good body work. And to allow 
the pleasure and the comfort of touch to come into your body. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I think it's a very important thing. And to then really devote yourself to how do I make my body feel safe? Do I need a yoga practice? Do I need to uh, join the church choir and sing with people? Do I need to play rugby? Uh, do I need to climb mountains? And to really discover what you can do to help your body to feel focused and safe. Uh, th those, I think, are the two core issues. And then you need to do the work yes. and really see what is bugging you and, and go into the memories and see how these old issues affect your current functioning. And again, develop a, a understanding and compassionate attitude towards yourself. You know, the big thing uh, for many traumatized people is that uh, the ones who was a perpetrator was outside of yourself and now you are your own perpetrator and you hate yourself and you can't stand yourself and you blame yourself and this whole issue of self-hate and self-blame deserves a lot of attention to help people to just feel safe in their body and say I feel sorry for what happened to you yeah so it's an internal process very much yeah 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 um we can be our own worst enemies. Yeah. Oh, we often are. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. It starts off from the outside, but it ends up on the inside. Yeah. You talk so about be befriending. Be careful with that time a little bit. I think you should start wrapping up. Okay. Sorry. Sorry about that. <laughs> I was enjoying the conversation a bit too much. Uh, final, final question for you, Basel. Thank you so much for, for yeah. taking the time to be here today. Um, what is something that you're currently working on that people can learn more about in terms of trauma? I believe you have a course that people can go and check out too, that they can um, hear a bit more from. Where can people go and connect with you with, with that? Well, you know, so I, I have my own scientific uh, evolution, um, which you may not be able to benefit from. But what I'm working on, actually, uh, so I'm actively working on two projects that are very much supportive of the third one. Um, I'm studying psychedelics right now for the treatment of trauma, um, specifically MDMA. And our data with MDMA are really amazing. I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm just surprised by how good they are, yeah. particularly about the issue of self-acceptance and self-compassion and self-regulation. So, uh, but maybe even more important is our research on neurofeedback, uh, which is practiced by a few people in Australia. Some of the best people I know are in Australia. Um, and my hope is that someday every school and every hospital have a, will have a neurofeedback system where you can sit and train your brain to become calmer. Um, the other thing that I'm very excited and intrigued by is theater work yes. where, uh, and a psychodrama where you actually play a role of being somebody else and you feel what the body feels like of being an other person and to imagine what it's like. So uh, I'm a big supporter of a local program here called Shakespeare in the Court. If you think about America as a very primitive country, it is in many ways, but I happen to live in a place that I consider very, very civilized. And... Uh, and so we have a program here that if you're a juvenile delinquent, all of whom are traumatized, 
uh, you the judge may condemn you to join Shakespeare in the uh, Shakespeare in the courts, and they may he may condemn you to become a Shakespearean actor. I love that program because you become part of a group. You need to perform. You need to feel things. And the theater directors really help you to not only experience yourself as you are, but allow you to experience what it would be like to be somebody else. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me very much of my going to medical school. I was not a doctor when I went to school. I was just a scared little medical student. Mm-hmm. And then people gave me a white coat and they gave me a little stethoscope and I looked a little bit like a very young doctor. I didn't feel like a very young doctor. And then... I walk into a patient's room and they say, hi, doc. And I go like, who are they talking to? Oh, shit, they're talking to me. They think I'm a doctor. And so I started to behave myself like a doctor. 50 years later, I behaved perfectly well like a doctor. <laughs> so I've assumed that identity. I've assumed that role. And I think a lot of traumatized people assume the role of a um, miscreant creature. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's very important to get to inhabit other possibilities in your body. Yeah. That's yeah. it. I love that. And uh, I, I was actually going to touch on the topic of, of the Shakespeare area and, and theatre work because I f- feel like it is fascinating. But mm-hmm. can I ask you one final question? It's a very, very simple, quick question. Uh, it's one of my all-time favourite questions I ask everyone at the end. It's a hypothetical one. But I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how they got it all. We'll just call it magic for the sake of argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Well, since I'm only three quarters of the way through, I can't tell you what should be on my 100th birthday. But... um... What would they like? Would they like to see? I'd like to see what a persistent guy I've been. You know, like uh, you know, do, doing this stuff that's sort of out of the mainstream uh, doesn't always le- lead to applause and a lot of support. And uh, I would like to celebrate the people who have supported me and how much, how exciting it was to discover things together, and how I got to be in some wonderful places in the world. I'd like to go back to South Africa and relive uh, the Truth Commission in South Africa that I played a peripheral role in. I'd love to see that again. I'd love to uh, to relive the discovery of things, of the first time I learned about EMDR. You go like, wow, that's amazing. How the first time I saw what, what neurofeedback could do, like, wow, that's amazing. The first time I saw what psychedelics can do, like, wow, that's interesting. And so all the... This has been a very exciting trip, actually, to, of a, you know, uh, I identify with my, I am a Dutchman by origin, and I had a better life than Mr. Tasman, uh, after whom Tasmania is called, because that guy managed to leave Jakarta, then called Batavia, and to sail around Australia, completely miss the continent of Australia, touch on Tasmania, touch on New Zealand, and sail back and never see the big continent. And I go like, I, I had a better journey of exploration. Actually, I saw the continent. <laughs> that was really great. Uh, I love it. I love okay. it. 
the best send-off message. Uh, go and get a copy of uh, Bessel's book, The Body Keeps the Score. Highly recommend it. Thank you so much, Bessel, for you all much. your work you. and for being a yeah. guest on the Storybox podcast. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcast. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 